So in the first video on equalization, we talked about what it is and how to start building an understanding of what it is, some practical tips. Now, in this video, we're actually gonna look at an equalizer and look at the controls and some other things that you might find on an equalizer. Now, an important thing to note is that it can be both good and bad to be able to see the frequency spectrum with a frequency analyzer because sometimes you do want to see what's happening but a lot of the time it's better that you use your ears and that's why it's very important to develop your hearing skills to understand the differences between the basic frequency ranges so that you can get to the point where you can pull up something like uh, something like an EQ that looks like this. Now you might think to yourself, why would I want to use an equalizer like this, where you don't have a visual representation of what's happening, you don't have an analyzer, and the points you have going on here seem to be fixed. You know, you can't um, seamlessly choose where you want to place your equalization nodes. Whenever you're dealing with sound, it's important to trust your ears. And I do recommend mainly working with sound and training yourself to work with sound. Visual tools are great, and I use them all the time, not to take away from them, but there are many advantages of using tools like this EQ here, for example. When we're making music, first of all, we want to know the frequency spectrum, preferably inside out, so that we can make educated decisions all day long without having to look at anything. Now, I've raved about how great this is as a learning tool, but equally well, an equalizer like this can be great because you do have those fixed positions and as you deal with them, as you learn what they sound like when you boost or when you cut, that's going to teach you a lot about those specific frequency ranges. So it's a great addition to have those visual tools, but you shouldn't rely on them and you certainly shouldn't always think about music only through what's visually happening here because what's visually happening might not represent the auditive experience itself. We human beings are extremely visual so it's easy to get hooked up on these type of tools. But what's really great about these sort of tools is that they restrict your workflow and then you might ask yourself, why would I want to restrict myself? You want to restrict yourself because it enhances creativity and it enhances decision making. So when you're working with something like this, because your options are limited, you're going to be more efficient. You're going to be more creative within the limitations of this device. So to give an example of what I do, usually I use something like the Pro-Q to locate problematic frequency areas and then bring down 
those problematic frequencies and sort of to get a general idea of what the spectral balance is for my sound. And then when I'm making more creative equalization calls, I'm going to use something like this because it restricts my view of what's happening and it re restricts my choices of, of what is available to me. And whenever you restrict yourself with good tools, I find that to be, I find it to have a nourishing effect on creativity. So let's go over the basic controls of an equalizer. Now the first control for an equalizer you want to pay attention to is the frequency control. So with a plugin like this, you can seamlessly choose any frequency within the audible frequency spectrum. On an EQ like the CQ, you would choose your frequency based on these fixed positions. So you have 0 0.7 kilohertz, one, one and a half, and so forth. And that's how you would choose your frequencies as opposed to choosing it with a control like this. Now with something like the Pro-Q, it allows you to place multiple nodes. So I don't know what the maximum is for this, but it's a lot. So it does allow you to sculpt, uh, sculpt a lot, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. It just gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of control over your sound. And when you're doing something more surgical, something more engineering, like something like that might be useful. But if you find yourself using 10, 15, 20 different uh, EQ points, there's probably something else going wrong with your process unless you're doing something extremely exceptional. So if you compare that concept to an EQ like this, well, you have three different points here. And of course, they are different tools. But if you find yourself doing copious amounts of EQ, then there's something probably wrong with the actual recording. Now, if you have to do 10, 10 15 uh, EQ adjustments, then that's what you have to do. But please always approach EQ from that musical point of view. You should be doing things for a reason. The second control you're going to find on an EQ is gain. And that's precisely what it says. If you move the gain up, you're boosting the frequency that you've chosen. If you're moving it downwards, you're decreasing gain at the frequency that you've chosen. So the third control you're going to have on an equalizer is the Q control. Not all equalizers allow you to control the Q factor. So the Q control controls the bandwidth of that selected EQ band or EQ node. Now you might ask yourself, why would you want to do that? Or what does it do? Well, it's a good thing to look at this visual representation because that's precisely what it's doing. Now, if you have a sharp Q, as you can see, we can really pinpoint on a very specific area of the frequency range. If you have a wider Q, it's gonna affect not only the selected frequency, but the frequencies around 
that point. So it's going to pull down those frequencies in accordance to the shape of the cue. Now as a starting point, it is often said that if you are cutting frequencies, you want to be using a sharper cue. Now, these rules aren't set in stone. I certainly find myself cutting stuff with a smoother cue, but it really just depends on the musical application that we're trying to achieve. But I think that's a great starting point to be cutting those undesired frequencies out with a sharper cue. Because if I'm cutting with a smoother cue, I'm going to be pulling down a lot of the frequencies around my target frequency. So let's say here is a harmful frequency that I want to get rid of. If I just want to get rid of that and not affect the material around that frequency, or hopefully at least affect these surrounding parts as little as possible, I would sort of hone in on it. And I would look for a sound that doesn't take away from the soul and the performance of that instrument. Now again, if I was cutting with a wider cue, you would start hearing all this other stuff disappear or decrease in volume around that point. And you don't want to be losing stuff that you want to keep. And that's where that principle comes from. Another thing that you hear quite often is that if you're boosting, you want to be using a wider cue. Now again, none of this is set in stone, but that principle is based on the idea that it has a more musical effect on the sound. It has a more natural musical sounding effect. Now if you compare this to something like this, you're going to see that we don't have a cue control. And in many cases, if I pull up something like uh, <clears throat> something like this, um, we don't have control of the cue parameter. So whatever we are doing, it is fixed based on the design of the unit. And that's why we might want to have several different types of EQs. So here we have a few other equalizers. I just want to show these to kind of show that they all have different settings and different type of uh, stuff. Usually you'd find some sort of a similar configuration. Now, as you can see, this one has a Q control for this one specific uh, high mid frequency band and and the same for the low mid frequencies. If we look at this equalizer, we don't have any control over the Q. So that is going to be that fixed quality is going to be a part of the characteristic of this EQ. Right here you have two of the same um, equalizing bands. So you have a, a bit of a different opportunity to tweak your sound. The last thing to cover is low and high shells. Now here we have a low shelf and uh, you know, here we have a high shelf. Now they are precisely what the name says. So 
It's kind of a shelving shape that simply allows you to boost or cut your high and low end. So these can be useful if you find that your track simply needs a bit of a boost in the low end or a bit of a boost in the high end. Or if you find that it has too much high end, you can slightly tuck it in. And the same thing applies to your low end. So most of the time you're going to find these shelving EQs on these, these type of more traditional uh, EQs as well. So here you can again choose the frequency where you want to start ramping up the shelf and you would boost or cut. Uh, this EQ allows you to choose a bell shape instead of a shelving. So a bell shape would be um, a kind of more traditional um, EQ curve. So it has that option. Uh, if it's off, then this works as a shelf. And we have our low shelf here, which again gives you that bell option. But you can choose where you want to start ramping up that shelf and you can cut or boost. This EQ has the same thing going, except you can only boost or cut, so it doesn't allow you to adjust the frequency, so that's fixed. Now again, that can be beneficial from a creative standpoint, at least it allows you to quickly make a decision based on whether it sounds good or, or it doesn't. If it doesn't do the job, then you're gonna probably use something like this or something like this. And we have our low shelf here. Again, choose your frequency, cut or boost. So that's it for the basics of EQ. I hope we've covered some of the basics and I've tried my best to show different types of EQ so you don't get too confused about the differences between them. Really, a lot of it is about workflow and using different tools for different jobs so that you can get the advantage out of all of them. Hope that helps.